Hello, my name's James Pikeaway, and you're listening to a Podaholics podcast. Well, let's get started. Okay. Because it's Doc Talk, which means Jenna Burton is here. And for the next hour or so, we're going to be talking about something that is of, of burning interest to everyone. And we, we, we've gone through anxiety. We've gone through workplace and occupational health. We've talked around those kind of topics. And... I mean, We're going off in pretty much the standard course of direction now, it seems. There's there's always a bit of an undercurrent to everything that we talk about with health, um, and that is mental health. Yeah. And the, we can talk about angina, you can talk about blood pressure. Um, there's so many things you can talk about, but the thing that underpins all of them, and we do come back time after time, is to discuss mental health because it's so topical and it affects everybody. Um, it's not like a subpopulation. It's, it, it does affect everybody, whether it's now or whether it's tomorrow everyone's going to be affected um, and hence why I think it's always really important to occasionally come back to the professionals. Um, doctors can diagnose you as having anxiety, depression, bipolar but the guys that do the real stuff um, are the clinical psychologists like like our lovely Cheryl here. And and I, I think it's really interesting to to note when we start talking about all you know what what Cheryl what you do and it's Cheryl Warsama by the way if you're wondering you yeah. want to look her up of yeah. course you do and we'll we'll keep coming back to that but as you start thinking of why I might need to go to a psychologist or why I might want to go and have a chat with a psychologist or what what psychologists can do for us it's such a wide berth now that there's so much going on and it just it becomes increasingly that that portion of our healthcare and I I, I truly mean our healthcare and and not this whole I'm gonna go to the doctor or I'm gonna go see a psychologist when I'm broken. Maybe I need to be going along the way so that I don't get broken. And I, a, I don't think we think enough about that. But B there are so many places where what you're doing, Cheryl, fits in yes. to to what's happening. We, we we're going to talk a little bit about suicide and and people who are are, are in a position where they are they're, they're they're so depressed or they've got other issues going on that they think the only solution is to to end everything. Which frightening to think that people can get there, but we know that they do in increasing numbers. We 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 were talking before before this show about marriages breaking down and 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 Jenna you were talking about the number of people that you know whose whose marriages have collapsed I've known people over the 20 years that I've been in Dubai who seemingly great couples and next thing you know their marriages are over and it's like wow yeah and you never uh, believe it no them. Yeah. no where how did that happen and why did that happen and how did I miss that this was coming about so there's just so much going on out there and and in in many ways show you 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 kind of must look on at these things and kind of go, you know, if only you had actually started to have a conversation, maybe you'd be on a different trajectory. Yeah. In fact, actually, I was thinking um, before I came uh, to do this podcast today, what would I like to say to people? Um, what What do I think would be really helpful? And I think everybody should have at least one hour of counseling at least once a year. Wow. Um, just like you go to the dentist twice a year, I think as a minimum, you should see a professional at least once a year for a mental health checkup, because I think just giving yourself that hour just to talk to somebody in complete and utter confidence um, about things that are troubling you, it's an opportunity to be screened to see if you have some might be having depression or an anxiety disorder. Um, and instead of allowing things to get out of control, 
and you know create difficulties in all areas of your life i think if you just took an hour out of your year to see somebody you could probably well i think it would make a significant difference to a lot of people are are they doing that or advocating that anywhere at the moment they're not but i was thinking if we could maybe think about an idea for dubai and i was thinking that you know have you done your one hour have you done your one hour have you seen the mental health professional and done your one hour at least once a year um just in a way it's a bit like a mental health mot um it's completely confidential you know because lots of people limp along being depressed or anxious and it's causing problems in their marriages problems at work problems with their children and if they just took the time to meet a mental health professional that might be able to help them understand what is going on for them i think people's quality of life would be so much better but isn't that the thing is that people don't realize that um you're saying that people should go in and have an mot and at the moment it goes that when people become depressed or become anxious or whatever it may be then they go but that's assuming that people can recognize when they feel that way and the reality is a lot of people will have different symptoms that don't mirror anxiety and depression so it could be they have lower back pain which we've discussed in the past yeah. before yeah. it could be that they're a bit snappy or a bit moody um they're not sleeping so well and all of these are byproducts of having mental health disorders that they've not picked up themselves and that's when it would be good to have this checkup show as what, what you're I suggesting. I think that's what I'm thinking is that sometimes, you know, I often see people, they can't decide, am I depressed? Am I a bit fed up? Does everybody feel like this? But actually, um, and especially people with lots of physical health conditions actually do also have um, mental health problems. I think just having that yearly checkup with somebody would make a significant difference. So uh, uh, how do, if, if I'm if I'm sitting right now like i am here and i i've got a question that i that i'm trying to figure out uh, where where i stand on on all of this how might i do a self-assessment to say you know, do i have some signs of depression am i you know I, maybe i've got a stressful workplace i've got stressful family life i've got bills to pay i've got you know questionable outlook in the future how how do i know if i'm that person who might be going down the road of of experiencing depression well, I think there are probably some telltale signs that you could look out for. I think a very classic one is having problems with your sleep. So not not sleeping at all or your sleep is disturbed or feeling exhausted all of the time and needing to sleep. Loss of motivation, kind of low mood. The things that used to excite you and interest you um, previously just kind of lost their edge. You're not so motivated and interested in those things. Um, sometimes it can show itself by being incredibly tearful. Some people become much more irritable than usual. So I think um, all of those can be telltale signs. And I think, as Jenny was saying, for some people, it will there'll be a physical manifestation that might be having lots of joint pain or back pain or stomach aches, headaches. Mm. So there's a range of symptoms so that you can be having. So why, again, why we need to be considering possibly going in for that checkup because it's so diverse i need someone like you to help me unpack all this absolutely and i think sometimes it may not always be depression i think sometimes in a society like here and you know in the uk us people are working incredibly hard and long hours and people do begin to burn out so that's again something Mm. else that we would be able to screen for 
And I always think prevention is much is a much easier journey than cure. So if people were to have, just take that one hour in the year to come and meet with somebody and have that assessment. What do you think are the obstacles to this? I mean, I, right off the bat, I'm thinking people don't think about prevention. I think people don't think about prevention. And I think like probably you've seen your experience, Jenna. <laughs> people just slightly start drowning. It's, 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 yeah. It's almost like, um, people, first of all, you've got the cost factor. And especially in this region, mental health is very rarely covered on insurance. Mm. And that is a huge, huge discriminator for people that want to go and seek help. Because as Cheryl says, the ideal situation is either you go once a year and you get, you get checked out or, you you start to think I'm not feeling quite nor I don't mm. feel like my normal self and that could be any of the symptoms that Cheryl's yeah. mentioned and, and they're so diverse yeah. but you just think something's not quite right you know what I think it'd be a good idea if I just call in and see somebody um, and just have that conversation but one people aren't really educated to to do that two people are so busy they sometimes don't even realize that they've not they've started to feel a little bit abnormal for themselves and then three you've got the cost and it's like well actually this month i'm a little struggling a little bit so maybe next month i'll go and then you get caught up with something else and before you know it you've reached that drowning point or burnout phase where you then it becomes a lot more difficult to motivate yourself to go and do those things how, how do we deal with the stigma as well like there's i mean i think there's still in a sense, this this stigma behind the idea that oh, I need to go talk to a psychologist, I need to go have that conversation. That that stigma of being weak, that stigma of being broken, that the list goes on and on and on. I think I think there is definitely stigma, and I think the stigma here, but there's also stigma in the UK. But I think, thankfully, my experience actually here in the UAE is that people are much more aware now of mental health problems and are much more willing to come forward and ask for help. I think a challenge for the majority of expats is the issue with insurance that they can't, yeah. as Jen is saying, they can't access the help they need. But I definitely think more and more people are aware. Um, they're probably encouraging their friends to go and talk to some people, <laughs> not, necessarily the, not necessarily themselves. But I think those words, anxiety and depression, are now much more... Um, People are much more familiar with those terms and mm. less scared of that. Do you know also, um, in the, say you were in London and you decided to go and see a psychologist. London's huge. You know, you can easily go to a waiting room and you're never really going to bump into somebody. Yeah. But Dubai is a very small Well, this um, is the other problem, place. right? Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to the psychologist, if I'm coming to see you, Cheryl. I don't know if I want my friends to know that I'm coming to see you. I mean, I mean honestly, I really don't care if my friends know, but... I'm thinking you could be that person, yeah. I, I, you know, you don't want. Oh, you know, I, you know, I was, I was just happened to be going to the doctor's office, and guess who I saw going in to see the psychologist? It's like who would have known, right? And and then suddenly it's that little whisper thing. It's like oh, something. Like that. Yeah. But I think that's part of the stigma, isn't it? Why yeah. would you be embarrassed if you were sitting in the dentist and one of your friends walked in, or if you were sitting? With the rheumatologist or the GP yeah. or anybody else, what would be so wrong about being seen in a psychologist office? Because I would say it's a sign of um, taking responsibility um, for the difficulties that you're having. I guess um, it's part of a complete healthcare program, right? I mean, all of those 
whether you're the GP, whether you're at the dentist, whether you're at the dermatologist, going to the psychologist, it's all part of keeping you working. But the yeah. thing is, is it, it we're talking about change and the stigma definitely has changed. You know, it's very different now to what it was 10 years ago. But I hope it'll be a lot different in 10 years time to how it is now because it's still not quite there yet. You know, you get occupational health forms when you start a job or whatever. Mm. And as soon as you write something down to do with mental health, that's it. You know, um, you need big reports and things. And people are really frightened of losing the job, of it of it being found out. But really, well, everybody has their, their problems at some time in life. Well, can you imagine if you're doing psychometrics? And you're going for a job and they say, have you ever, have you ever had any depression? Are you going to write yes on that form? I doubt it. You become a liability, you, you, you think. I think most people aren't able to be open about having mm. had a mental health problem. But I think that's true here. And I also think it's still true in other parts of well, the world. Well, I, I think when I'm, when I'm talking, everything I'm talking about is... Obviously, we're here in Dubai, but I think it it applies. I'm I'm applying it with a very large roller, yeah. and I think these are global issues. and And sure, I don't want to mention maybe I, that that stigma is there that I'm going to a psychologist to help me work through stuff so that I'm better in my job. By doing that, as I said, I'm I'm that's a positive thing to do. We don't want to put it down on a form because we're scared that oh, someone's going to say you 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 know, you actually took action. How many, I often wonder when we talk about these things, such as, you know, depression, we'll go into a little bit more detail in a second and, and other issues that, that people might be working through with relationships. How many people are suffering through it and have all sorts of things going on in their lives because of what's going on and they don't share it. I think I wonder if they're worse off by not getting some help and admitting that, oh, you know what, I, I can't do this alone. I think they're far, far more a liability than the person who's actually taken the time to mention that, you know, I, I, I did have this happen. And, you know, if you had a heart attack at some point in your life, you're not, you know, have you ever had a health issue? Yeah, I had a heart attack. Okay. Are they not going to hire you to do a job? Probably they'll still hire you. But I have diabetes. They're still going to hire me. And that's another important link that I'd like to make. And maybe you can pick up on that a bit more, Jenna. But actually, a lot of people with physical health conditions like um, heart conditions, diabetes, you name it, are at increased risk of having a psychological problem like depression and anxiety. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. I if never you, think of that. If you have cancer, for example, a cancer diagnosis, I think the rate of um, depression goes up to about 10%, and in the general population, it's around 5%. If you have cardiac disease or any of those illnesses, a neurological condition, what we tend to find complicates their recovery is the mental health problem. And if I can say one thing today is anxiety and depression are treatable conditions. You do not need to be suffering because we now have excellent treatments for depression. Um, Fine. I'm, I'm just, I'm still stuck on the number, A, that how high it goes if I've, if I've had some of these, these incidents. But just the, the basic number, 5% of, of people in society are typically have, have could be diagnosed with depression and anxiety. That's a huge number. I think there's 5% prevalence for depression and about 3 to 4% with a diagnosis of anxiety. And the two are often very, uh, very commonly interlinked. Well, I, mean, and I was wondering, well, so can, can, can you break them down for us? Like, what is the difference between depression and anxiety? 
I mean, yeah, I have to just, so basically, um, depression is where you're you're suffering with low mood, something called anhedonia, which is um, what Cheryl was discussing before, when things that you would normally enjoy, you don't find pleasure in, mm. you're not really looking forward to anything, and it's often got a high association with guilt too, mm. um, and, and sort of low low confidence in, in in yourself, and can manifest in sort of thought process which are very very negative everything is very sort of you know they call it the black dog because everybody sees things as black negative um and you can get yourself into very negative thought process sorry process loops um but it also can manifest in physical symptoms and um, which as we were saying can be you know um sleeping problems under sleeping oversleeping eating problems under eating overeating um and and also in different an inability to think straight can't concentrate um and therefore have difficulty in work whereas anxiety is quite different there's different types of anxiety as well and what's most common is generalized anxiety disorder and we all know what it's like to get stressed and we're on edge yeah. and we're overthinking about things and and anxiety is when you get you become so sort of almost in your mind where you just keep thinking about things you get um you can get again physical symptoms such as heart palpitations you can get loss of weight because your heart's racing quite fast it's almost like you're running a race but constantly yeah. you can get the sort of shaking um a sweating anything that you would normally associate with being on edge nervous um, or fearful um, but it's a constant state of that and whereas usually you can have anxiety with a certain trigger when you're in generalized anxiety disorder it tends to be almost day in day out that you're in that state and that can reduce your immune system make people more susceptible to infections oh, yeah. and, and, and generally very exhausted quite similar to depression mm. as well so where, where would panic attacks fit into that because I often hear people say, oh, I, I get panic attacks. Is that anywhere in that, that group or is that a whole other thing? It, it's, it's within anxiety, but go on, Joe. Yeah, well, <laughs> just, just to clarify, yes, it's another anxiety disorder. Okay. And people have panic attacks, which are pretty awful, but again, treatable. But when you um, you suffer with a panic attack, it's a much more acute form than the generalized anxiety. Mm. And it's um, it can literally just take over somebody. And it, I mean, there are varying scales with everything. It's always on a spectrum. So sort of quite a minor panic attack is when suddenly they feel a little bit overwhelmed with a thought process and, and nerves. Uh, and they might become a bit shaky and a bit on edge. But then a full-blown panic attack can be um, when you're hyperventilating, you can uh, your fingers become numb because you're blowing off carbon dioxide because you're breathing so quickly um, and you can literally become totally, totally, totally stilted in anything that you're doing because you aren't able to function in that moment. Wow. Um, a lot of men you find can present to A&E yeah. or emergency department and does tend to be typically men. Um, and it's again the way that men and women um very different in the in the way that they process emotions and because women might think oh i feel a bit upset about something i'll have a cry or i'll chat to my friend and um, men don't always do that and, and this is a general sweeping sorry sweeping generalization but from experience it does occur and they will turn up thinking that they're, ha they're having a heart attack and mm. um, they'll be sweating they'll feel nauseous their heart will be racing uh, and then when you've done your tests etc it finds out actually they were having an anxiety attack as opposed to a full-blown heart attack wow is is one of the the challenges when we want to get people in the door to have this conversation is that instantly when i think of of going to a psychologist that the the thought process is i'm gonna to have to be on some kind of medication i'm gonna be on this for the rest of my life and 
you know, this is, is something that, that will only be in a sense masked, not something that I can work through. Is that, is that something that you find goes on in people's minds? I think that's a really common concern that people think if they come to see a psychologist that they're exactly going to be put on medication. And I think people often say, but if I go on medication, how will I know if I'm actually getting better and treating yeah. my symptoms are getting better because this therapy is working or is it all just down to the uh, medication? And I would say not everybody needs medication. Sometimes if your sev- uh, symptoms are more on the severe end of the spectrum and they've been persisting for quite a long time, it might be better to have a combination of medication and therapy because there are some changes in the uh, brain chemistry that the medication will help. But the therapy really is the bit that is in your control. It's mm. up to you to be making the changes in terms of your behaviors and the thought patterns that you have. And if you really engage in that, they will last far longer than the um, effects of the medication when you okay. when you come off them. So you should be really making meaningful change during your therapy that's not dependent on the medication. Now, is that the other problem? People don't want to necessarily, I mean, they, they, or in a sense, so let me back it up. They, they come and sit down, we come and meet, we come in for a session and it's not about medication. It's about me changing the way I'm doing things that are leading to the thought process. That's work. So do people also come and then realize, Okay, I'm in total control here, and this is I I I like the way my life is. Is there nothing that we can just fix it so that it keeps going as it is? That that's got to be a big piece. Well, I would definitely say the hardest thing of all in therapy is change. So sometimes people will think they want to change, but mm. on the whole. You know, this is, I always talk, talk about this kind of theory of human consistency, which means that we all basically want to stay tr- ourselves. We don't want to move away from yeah. what is familiar to us. So I think there can be a gap between people wanting to change, saying they want to change and actually being willing to do the work of change, because that is quite hard work. Um, you have mm. to be persistent. It won't happen overnight. And it might mean having to change the way you think, the way you behave, the way you interact with people. So it can be a little bit of an upheaval, but hopefully a really beneficial one. Beneficial one. It takes a long time. I mean, the the thing is, when people come to see you, you know, they don't want tablets and they also don't want to be consistent at working at therapy. And it's it's like when people come to the clinic and they say, I really want to lose weight. And you say, right, well, should we look at your diet? No, I don't want to change my diet. How about exercise? No, I don't want to exercise. Like, well, you're kind of running out of options here. Surgery? No, I don't want surgery. But the thing is, is that I always say the medication sometimes is like a like a like a band-aid in the fact that it patches you up enough to get you going on therapy because sometimes people are so depressed and so anxious yeah. that they 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 can't actually open themselves up to consider having therapy but really the mainstay of treatment is a talking therapy and then and then it's about as Cheryl says at consistency and accepting that things don't get better overnight I read a statistic years ago that most people just as an example and, and obviously it's something I have experience with most people that suffer with eating disorders are in talking therapies for at least seven years. Yeah. Seven years. Now, that's a really long time. So that's huge. But people think that they're going to go, they'll have a few sessions and, and that's it. Yeah. And, and it's not, if you really want to make a change, it's consistent wow. and it's hard work. Um, and and there, there are no quick fixes. And it's sad, but that that's just the reality of, of how it works. Yeah, I think in certain conditions, the length of time uh, of treatment can vary. 
And also depends how long you've been I suffering. I think you so. probably weren't in, in therapy for seven consistent years. Though. No. No. <laughs> but I think, yes, sometimes people come for a while, then they have a break and mm. things, you know, they test out how they're doing, then they might come back again for another block of therapy. And so it can be a process um, over a number of years. In fact, somebody contacted me from the UK only last week and I worked with that person for nine years. Wow. Wow. Um, over a period of time and she asked if she could just have a one-off consultation with me on the telephone and we were able to work through something that was just troubling her and on she went. So it wasn't nine consistent years of every week. She would go, life would get better again, she would have a dip, she would come back. But I can say her life to when I first met her to where she is today is unrecognizable. See, that's that's the whole reason to have these yearly checkups. So you go yeah. in, and you get a you get a checkup. Maybe you need to come for a few weeks or a few months. Okay, we got you back on track. Absolutely. See you in a year's time, and yeah. let's have a chat. But Absolutely. it must also be hard when people have to move therapists because, say, oh, you know, you yeah, you've relocated, and and obviously you know your patient intimately well. Like, how do you find the the transfer process of handing her over to somebody? I think it was oh, it's quite painful to say goodbye to some of the people that I've worked with for a long time. But I think probably the way that I work, people can get in touch with me. I mean, I think mm. that's how she had my contact details. And when things were a bit wobbly, she was able to get in touch. Sometimes I've had email uh, communication with patients. Because again, once you form that really, yeah. and it is a genuine relationship with somebody who knows you really well and knows your story and can pick up really quickly and... Sometimes I can recognize when you're becoming unwell before they realize they're becoming unwell and just being able to what, you know, intervene fairly quickly. Um, it can be a really effective way of having somebody in your life that helps you. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I think it's a good way of avoiding always depending too much on your partner. I think people often put, especially here when you're a bit more isolated, people possibly over-depend on their partners for support when actually it might be better to go and see a therapist. Well, well that's the other side. And that's a, a nice segue. But it's when we start talking about anxiety and we start talking about depression, our relationships, I mean, I'm, you know, we've got our work relationship and your relationship that you have with your job or with your colleagues, but then you've got your family relationship and, you know, men and women. And suddenly that has got to be a huge stressor. And then as an expat, that adds a whole other layer to it. When we start looking at those numbers, the, the number of people who get into relationships and depression starts to set in that, you know, they, maybe their lifestyle has changed. They, you know, the, 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 the single person is now the married person. And that was a whole different lifestyle and having issues dealing with that and careers change. And then kids get thrown into the mix and, you know, it, it was funny and, and, and just thinking about that whole thing and how that can cause issues as I was watching an interview with Paul Reiser. Uh, don't you do you remember the show Mad About You from years ago? I've heard of it, but I never watched it. Oh, well, there you go. So so Mad About You is it's, it's like 20 years old, this show. So and it, it literally went off the air when this couple and it was a story of a couple had a child. And that was the end. That was the end of the, the comedy series because... The, the, was, it, was it real life? Like a, do no, a docu-oh-way? No, no, no. It was, it was just a comedy in, of this relationship. And as it said, they were mad about each other. Well, they're bringing it back. And, and it was funny. So I'm listening to the interview and, and a couple of things are happening in the interview, which is kind of neat. But he's talking about it. He says, we had no plans to bring it back. Like there was never a plan to bring back this show. 
And so then it was, well, why are you bringing it back then? I said, well, in their lives, they, they both, you know, they're both, they're not married to each other. They, these two actors, they're, 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 you know, they're married. They've got kids. Well, their kids have left the house. Their, their kids in real life have moved out. And now they have to get used to being <laughs> a couple again. again. Yes. And that's where the sitcom is coming back with the same two actors. And they're picking up with their child in the, the, the movie, you know, the TV series yeah. life is leaving the house. Honestly, and, James, yeah. do you know, when, when we all went off to university in my year, yeah. all our parents got divorced, <laughs> all of them. It's like they realized, what, really? I'm stuck with you now? Yeah, like there's no children to focus on. I mean, we were group of 10 and I'd say 50% got divorced. Yeah. Well, and, it, and this was one of the things Paul Reiser was talking about. It was, it's actually a really cool interview because I learned something about Paul Reiser that I didn't know. So Paul Reiser's a comedian. Right. He does movies. He's an actor. He's a, you know, he's done all these things. And he goes in to do this interview in a studio that has this grand piano in it. And it's, it's a famous grand piano, so that's another cool thing. But he sits down at the piano and starts playing. And the guy's going, I didn't know you played piano. He says, oh, I studied, I studied classical piano and composition at, at college. Like, that's what I did. And the guy goes, so he's sitting there playing the piano throughout the interview. Just because he's going, this is the weirdest thing. I've never done an interview where I play the piano or I've had a piano. And, and he's talking. So he gets to this line. He gets to this piece in this interview where he's talking about his own kids having left. And, and the guy says, so, you know, how are you dealing with it? He goes, not well. I'm not dealing with it well because a you you so when I'm thinking of depression I'm thinking of anxiety so now you've got your child that of course you you never want to want them to leave but you want them to leave you want them to get on with their life and you, you lose control of that and as you said now suddenly you've got your spouse that you it's it's attention is back on each other because you know, even though your children aren't at home, they're they're your priority. He said it's a sad thing, but it's true. He says, you know, you love your wife, you love your husband, but that child is the most important thing in your life. And now that child, the most important thing in your life is not around 24-7. And suddenly you've got the person who all those years of the child growing up has been the center of attention. And now the attention is diverted back and it's like, oh man, this is, maybe you didn't, you know, it's like, I'm just thinking that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> and if we're not going in for our checkup, yeah. if we're not, and even rationalizing, why am I not so happy? Why am I grumpy? Why am I looking for other things? But there's two parts there, James, because one is the fact that uh, when the children leave, that becomes yeah. a, a difficult strain for marriage. And it's then huge. the other is, well, there's actually two more. One is when you have children, that I'm yeah. sure that yeah. Cheryl, I'm sure, will tell us more about. That becomes another strain. And also the other one, which is becoming more topical amongst um, my peers, is the debate of whether to have children and when oh, to have yeah, children. Yeah. And that's another, and it's always around the, the children, it seems. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I think everything to do with children is complicated in a marriage. And I think that's a lovely example of what you do when the children start to leave home. Yeah. Because I think if you have managed to stay together for those 18 years, any problems that you've had in your marriage, you've probably just been able to put behind you because of the good of the children. And now the child is no longer in the house. And maybe if you've got others, it becomes apparent to you that they're going to be gone in another couple of years. Yeah. And who are you? But I think this yeah. is what I often see for both men and women, especially in their late 40s, early 50s, when typically their children are going off to university. The things that used to give their life meaning and purpose doesn't have the same yeah, yeah. Uh, cachet anymore. And they're just wondering, you know, what what is what does the future hold? What are we going to do? I don't know if I love my job in the way that I used to. Yeah. The house suddenly seems too big. 
I don't really know my partner because he or she is being like a mom and a dad. And I think it can be a really confusing time. And the other time is, you know, deciding to have a baby. Often couples either decide they're going to stay together or break up around that issue. It's a make or break. That's huge. That's a huge one. It's a huge one. Probably more so now because years ago, I think it was the done thing that you did. You got married and you just had children. It's not the same anymore. Plus, add on to that, there's a lot more difficulty in having children because people are having children later. Later, Um, And so there's higher rates of polycystic ovaries as well because of lifestyle, etc. And therefore, it's do we go down that track? Do we do it? There's a financial implication. It's huge. The finance is a huge thing. Even just to get pregnant before you even have children. And and then there's the, the, the whole psychological side of look at look what's going on in the world and do I want to bring kids into that yeah and, what, and what's their future going to be where uh, you know I and I I mean I'm I'm a couple years ahead of you on where where we're going with careers in that but I mean when I look at my kids it's frightening I'm frightened for them because I don't know where their careers are going like because it's not the same career trajectory that I was on and I, you know, you kind of wonder, are they going to be able to make it? Or... But I think that's a classic example of anxiety is that if yeah. you allow those thoughts to take root, oh, what's going to happen to them? If I bring a child into the world, will I be bringing them into an evil yeah. world? Yeah. Will I be an irresponsible person? And round and round it goes. Definitely have these thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that's a classic thing of when people start to get anxious is yeah. just the worry about what it would mean to bring a child into the world. And then... I think now because careers aren't as structured as they used to be, when your children... It happens so quick too. It happens so quickly and they're leaving university. They're not probably going to follow a really traditional path. You know, your idea of work is probably not going to be the same. And then again, you're panicking what's going to happen to them. No, I'm I'm just panicking. They're going to want to come back and live with me. (laughs) (laughs) That's lies, James. You'd be absolutely made up if your boys came back. (laughs) I don't know. I think in England and... People, I think, I forget what there's a term for it now, but anyway, so many young people actually have returned home. So um, living off the bank of mum and dad. So I think something else has changed. Maybe that's to do with house prices, but lots of people um, do return home. And actually that's another pressure. If you have been getting on with your marriage and having a nice time and traveling, now you've got your adult children back in the house. Well, that can also cause some, you know, cause conflict. I, I, I almost think... What what that leads us to, and and there, there's, there's just so many times you just need to say, you know, maybe I just need to go have a chat with someone. And I think there was a there was a point years ago, and I don't know how many years ago. Like, let's let's just throw a number twenty thirty, where we we just go talk to our friends. Maybe our friends, were, you know, we were just having a conversation. Not that our friends were the good people to talk to, but we might talk a little bit more to our friends. And I, I don't know if we talk about these things with our friends anymore. I mean, I'm thinking with my friends. I don't think I do, but. The, the the whole idea, again, coming back to one, we need that checkup. But two, if you're if you're in a relationship or you're starting down that road, having a conversation with someone to sort out, you know, what, what am I actually thinking about and what's what's going on in my head here and where's this relationship going? And remembering that if you sign up, typically that means you've signed up for the long haul and if you're going to bring some kids into this whole equation. Now that's part of the equation. And you know, you're thinking 50 years here. Are you yes, ready for that? Exactly. And actually one of the things I've been thinking about is just that, that people often rush into a relationship or they're in a relationship that is quite stable, but then they struggle to make the next transition. 
And I've been thinking about how could I, how could we encourage people to come forward at the beginning of relationships or just before they make a transition um, without feeling that they're having to see a psychologist because there's mm. something really wrong with them. And I was thinking, oh, I think I'm going to set up a love school. <laughs> I'm going to get people to come in and have like, um, not even a checkup, but just in a, you know, just a chance to really sit down and think about whether or not they want to commit to this person. Mm. Have they really thought this through? Are they really compatible? Do they really want to have children together? Um, and I think that would solve an awful lot of distress. Um, but you know, that, that used to, this is something that used to happen, or at yeah. least it does. In, in well, did it happen? You'd go to, the, you'd go to your, 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 your vicar, your yes, priest, or your chaplain. And yes. You'd actually, if you sign up, even still in England, if you want to get married in a church, you have to yeah. go for pre-marriage counselling. Right. And right. It, and but it I makes, don't think that's the same kind of counselling Cheryl's dealing with. It's I mean, well, Cheryl's is definitely going to be more <laughs> in tune with people. But, but it addresses the big issues at the beginning, doesn't it? And, and you have to learn about compromise and about uh, just about working as a partner, but before you sign up. Before you idea. sign up. Yeah, because I think so many people here, in, especially in Dubai, you don't have your friend network around you. You don't have friends. You don't huge. have your family. Yeah. And then you meet somebody maybe through Tinder or one of the other um, sites and you've got no way of really referencing that person. Yeah. I think people here tend to have much more intense relationships much more quickly, possibly because they're lonely and disorientated. So they're really happy yeah. that they've met somebody, but then they don't really sit down and think carefully about whether or not they're compatible with that yeah. person. Can this relationship really last the course? Can, well, that, can it support babies and yeah. financial uh, problems, etc.? That's something that really worries me, actually, when I you know talk to friends who are, who are hooking up on Tinder or things, yeah. and not just for a hookup, but you know this is where they're they're thinking, hey, maybe I'm going to meet my partner here, yeah. and I'm going really like I'm thinking that's not the way. You're going to go about meeting your lifelong partner. And I, you know, when you think about, well, how do people in the past, where did you meet? Your, you, maybe you met them at work. Maybe you met them in college or at school or in an activity or things. And and I, I almost think that you, you kind of get a pretest in that sense, in that you get to know the person a little bit. And it's almost like the, it's like the pre-date, you know, mm -hmm. the preamble. And you kind of get a sense right? yeah, you know what? Yeah, I really like your you're a friend, but I won't live with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas we're now jumping through a whole bunch of ho hoops where we've almost made a bit of a commitment because, you know, now you're on my app. And... I, I, it's it's harder to just sort of say, yeah, you know, I'm going to unfriend you here and you know, let's just call this a mistake and never never come back and visit yes, again. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, when we're at home, we can reference people. Yeah. We can find out maybe they know somebody that works in an office exactly. or they went to a school or a university or they... But when you're in a new country and you're just meeting somebody off an app, you've got no way of referencing anybody. And I think you can enter into a bit of a fantasy yeah. uh, domain. Um, but it, it, that's quite interesting then. And I'm not, I have nothing against um, the dating apps. I've got lots of friends that are yeah. in theory, um, or they, they appear to be in very happy relationships. But do you find that relationships struggle more if they have met through that route? Is that something that you've noticed? Or I think it's just regardless of how you meet, one of the things that I have come to see over the years is that lots of people don't do a kind of due diligence before they commit. Mm. And I think that's probably because when we're falling in love with somebody and you're feeling very passionate, 
obviously you're full of hope and you, you're not necessarily thinking that you might run into problems. But when that starts to dissipate, then you really are left with another human being in front of you. And is there really a compatibility or was there a lot of attraction and a lot of passion? But can you really go the distance with this person? And I think lots of people make relationships particularly romantic relationships based on their feeling and mm. they don't match their feeling with the thoughts um, and they consistently ignore red flags. I think that's something I see all the time. The red flags. These are the ones where, and, and I've, I've spoken to people, so these are the red flags yes. that I know you're talking about. Yeah. And, and we haven't even consulted on this one, but I know. And this is the, the big red flag that, that comes up are all the things that you don't like about a person. It's yes. like, oh, I'll be able to change that. Absolutely. No, yes. And, even even my mum as a child said, you, as soon as you meet somebody, think you're never going to change them. Yeah. Oh, right. It's done, but so many. I don't understand. Like we've seen it in movies. We everyone talks about it. You're not changing anyone. Like if if you don't like something about someone, you you know, back just say you know what? It's been a good thing before I get myself into any details here. I'm out of here because I know I can't change that, and you're going to drive me nuts. It's and like, I think a big mistake people make is um, just because their partner was like that with somebody else. Yeah. They won't be like that with me, but I would say actually what the ba the past tells you so much about yeah. what you're getting yourself in for. So do listen to that story very carefully because it's a fantastic predictor of what's going to happen to you. And I, I imagine, and this is again why it'd be great to come to a love school, is <laughs> is when you're when you're sitting down and you're having this chat and, and you know it's gotta be one of the items in the conversation. So what don't you like about this person? Absolutely. Oh, I love everything about him. It's like, really? I bet you could sit down with my wife and she's going to she's going to give you the list. Well, I hate him with this and I this and this and this. And, you know, and, and with my wife, she goes, am I going to change that? No, but you know, I hate it, but I can live with that. But, you know, and if it was this, that's the other thing, not a chance. We wouldn't have been, we wouldn't be together now, you know, and, and for us, you know, touch wood, 27 years, it's 27 years this year. Yeah. I'm Imagine. Touching wood. Yeah, I'm touching wood, but, yeah. but I, I think it all comes down to, you know, in, in a sense, knowing, you know, they're, they're, we, we talk. People are too scared to have a conversation because I think yeah. they're, they're scared if they raise something, the, the, the relationship will falter and they will lose the relationship or it yeah. won't, they won't get married. But actually, I would say it's actually much better to have a conversation before and yeah. go into the relationship, into the marriage with both eyes wide open about what you're getting involved with. Um as opposed to having many years of regret and pain yeah. after a difficult divorce but, oh, and a very expensive divorce for lots well, of people. Yeah. And, and then <laughs> that whole, that whole process, you know, I, my parents were divorced actually and it's yeah. it, they're but they're the, they're the weirdest divorce case because, you know, I, I've, I've had so many friends who had parents who got divorced and those parents were never the same then, you know, that I think you carry some of that with you. And, and I don't know if my parents carried it with them or not, but they didn't have, there was no animosity in their divorce. I mean, I, and to this day, actually, my mom's in town. I got to ask her why, because I, I truly, to this day, couldn't tell you why my parents got divorced. Wait, I don't know. That's so nice. I, That's but nice. I have no idea why they got divorced. And I, and I, I never want to bring it up because I kind of, in the back of my mind, is like, I want to know, but I really don't want to know. <laughs> Shall I ask her? Yeah, maybe you could ask her because I really don't want to know because what if it's, you know, I, but I want to know. Yes, yeah. So I, I always, people always say, have you ever asked? And I said, no, I haven't because I, I want to know, but I really, it's, it's the classic, you know, cave allegory, right? Once you come out into the light, you can't go back into the cave. And so not knowing, I don't know. But that sounds thing. like a session. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think yeah. I, oh, Next I, time she's <laughs> here. <laughs> Send it to Cheryl. <laughs> but but the, the whole, the whole side of it is 
when when we talk about people who get divorced, they carry that with them. And it, it, in some cases, if it's a bad divorce, then it's you know there are perceptions of other people in the future and other couples and things and themselves. And oh man, like, that can be really Do challenging you know, for some people. It's actually um, up there with post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. I would imagine because it's it's all relative, isn't it? So if you've been in a war zone, then that's post traumatic stress yeah. for you. But um, a divorce can be as bad as post traumatic stress. And and the other thing is is that we've talked a lot about getting married and compatibility. But I do think as well is that uh, I don't think people do accept that other people aren't perfect. Mm, and, I agree. And, you know... That's and a tough one. We're talking a lot about, say, ourselves and thinking of yeah. ourselves as being the ones that might yeah. have depression, anxiety, but sometimes your partners get that. Yeah. And that is very burdensome and hard yeah. to live with, frustrating. Um, and, and, you know, it, it'd be so easy for everyone to say, you know what, I've had enough, I'm not... Yeah, I can't be bothered with this. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is that if you do get married, then um, and even if you're in just a long term relationship, is you also want to be able to support that person and stick by them and accept that there are hard times as well as good. And maybe at times, although you're compatible generally, there's going to be times that it's it's hard and there's yeah. friction. And, and maybe that's another time that you could then take a, an appointment with Cheryl's Love School to, to, well, I guess to learn how to support your partner. I guess it's an yeah. ongoing love school, isn't it? Because again, you've got those check-ins and, and we've got different milestones in our lives. So, you know, the thinking about getting married, you've just gotten married those first couple of years, there's a lot of change. And then maybe some, maybe you've got a sustaining period. Then you've got kids and you've got kids are growing up. There's a whole bunch of stages there. It's like, well, man, there's challenge after challenge Absolutely. after challenge. There are key stages in marriages, I think, where you are confronted with a need to change. And that can be really difficult. And mm. I think absolutely what Jen is saying is true is that people often go into the relationship hoping the other person will continue to change and you can stay the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, that's huge. That's huge, exactly. But your ability to be flexible and your ability to change and your ability to support people, your partner during critical times is one of the factors that can decide the future of your marriage. Mm. I think often we see marriages faltering where something has happened in one person's life and the other person fails to step in to provide that love and support the person needs. Yeah. Yeah. It can't always be a honeymoon. That's a challenge. I, I always think of it as then... Um, when you're younger, you have your parents who just love you so much yeah. and they're that safe haven. So no matter yeah. what happens, whether it's a grief, whether it's um, a disappointment in life, you've got them to turn to. And then suddenly you take this person that doesn't, they'll love you, but it's a different relationship Absolutely. to the one that you have with your parents. But yet you still want that safe haven and that person to provide the same support unconditionally. Yeah. And it is, as you said, Cheryl, it's an awful lot of pressure on one person to yeah. be that entire family unit that you've had as a child but you still crave even as you get uh -huh. older you still crave it you still crave it and I think this is something that's happened in the modern world is that people are less attached to their extended and uh, relative family networks and friends they live together as a couple and they overly rely on each other mm. that never happened until at least 40 50 oh, what, years what ago you, what do you mean overly rely what well, in, in the past, people had sought support from all sorts of other people. They would have friends that they would talk to. They would have relatives that they visited. Depending on your religion, you might have more contact with people through your church or temple or mosque, for example. But in 
as you know, in the age of the iPhone and laptops and technology, people are just coming home, either checking out and going on laptops and just being overly reliant on each other. They don't see mm. the same number of people that they used to. Um, and I think people often, people's marriages tend to do much better when they're living in a community where they have lots of other things that help support the marriage, friends, opportunities for activities, um, opportunities to socialize, sports. Um, one person can't meet all of your needs. And I think that's a massive, um, unrealistic expectation. And one of the damages of romance, I think this we've become so caught up in a romantic idea of love that people think, these ideals that saying, we... yeah, that you're going to get almost a new dad or a new mom that's going to love you unconditionally when you get married. And actually, that's probably not going to happen. And it's unrealistic. Yeah, that's, that's brutal. I mean, yeah. I mean and then <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost like you need to just sort of let people see behind the curtain a little bit. And, and I guess, again, love school is a great way to do that and, and have those conversations to make sure you're in for it for the right reasons. Absolutely. If you just took that time just to really sit down and think for a couple, you know, maybe one, two, three sessions or something like that. Is this really viable? Do I really understand what I'm signing up for? Have I really dared ask some tricky questions? Because people yeah. are scared to ask difficult questions. Why, why do you think that is? Is it just because of the illusion and the perception, the the dream that's been put there, the myth of... of... Well, it's a bit like you've just said, you don't, haven't got around to asking your mom why your parents got divorced. But I think it's just that. Couples have similar issues. They're just a bit yeah. scared to ask a question because they yeah. don't want to put the person on the spot or they're scared about what they might find out yeah. I, I have a theory as well that okay. there's a lot of women in um i, I rather it's, it's not a nice way to put it but i would say in last chance saloon where yes. they basically really want to have a baby and you can't help it it's a biological instinct and when you get into the point that you're starting to get panicked about it you really want to make active steps and now there's a big branch of women that are going off and they're doing it on their own and they just take that pressure off themselves yeah. but they're so frightened when they meet somebody and they think i could have a family with this person they will do jump through the hoops yeah. to get to the stage where they get married and they can have have baby and it's part is because of what they want and part of it is a biological need to do yeah. that to reproduce it's what we're meant for um but then as i say there's a whole other load now the newer generation yeah. are realizing hang on what's this about i'm an independent woman i don't need anybody yeah. to yeah. to do it but i think sometimes that can be a barrier to asking these questions and finding it maybe they, they don't want to know the answer they don't want to know the answer. I think that's a really good point. Is that at some level we're still animals? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah we're, we're, and yeah. at a certain stage, that biolog that biological clock is ticking and is actually helping you not to ask some tricky questions because biologically you're primed if that's what you want to have children. Um, I still think it's worth if you can to come to have the courage to dare to ask some some difficult questions because it life gets so much harder once you've got a baby with somebody yeah. well, it, it almost becomes well as you said it becomes so much harder there's so many more elements now connected in if you if you if you terminate that relationship what about the baby what about that 
child who's going to grow up and is going to have all those questions and hold on. And what is the influence that is going to now be on that child with watching that mother or that father who might be getting depressed, might have anxiety issues. Exactly. (sighs) And in the the UAE, you often get parents where one is from Australia, one is from England. Exactly. And then you've got a baby in the mix that's born in Dubai. I mean, what on earth do you do going forward? I mean, it's, yeah, it's got to be tough stuff. I think that's a really good point, especially here. People often meet from other parts of the world. So if you divorce and you want to go home, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's a big challenge. It's a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge. Oh, man. and, And again, could be simply deflected simply by getting together Coming to the love school. Coming come and talking to, to Cheryl. School. Yep. Come and, a, come and have a chat. Let's, you know, dare to have some tricky questions. Because I think what you might be doing, you might be getting married, having a child, and also having to commit to being in Dubai for the next 18 years. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> because there's also other legal implications around divorce and who has custody and all of those things. So I think people have to think. You have to make wise decisions. And I think often around love, People just make very emotionally based decisions and they don't think about the wider implications. Would, would we need to do this as a couple or I mean, for it to really work? Can just one half of the couple do this or for it to really work to both halves need to engage? Ideally, I think both parties would need to engage because I think you'd need to be able to actually sit down together and mm. have these difficult conversations Um And it might be as a result of that one person realizes actually they've got some difficulties that perhaps they need to address before they're able to progress with the relationship. I think that's a responsible thing to do. Um, But I think what I would hope is that people would feel that they could come somewhere that was confidential and that they could dare to sit face to face and talk about some of these issues that we know, if they're not addressed, might cause quite long last will have long lasting consequences mm. do you, you think a lot of folks especially when we talk in, the, in terms of love just don't realize that how simple it would be for them to sort through some of the issues they have that they actually don't realize they have but are you know they're they're tiny now but in 10 years these these will have been you know the the, the grain of sand that cream became the pearl and in this case not a pleasant pearl not a pleasant pearl again i think that's another good reason for just seeing someone it doesn't you don't have to have major problems sometimes you can just realize you're getting stuck in a rut having mm. a circular argument maybe in just one session with somebody or maximum two sessions you might be able to have resolved that and go back to your happy life again mm. um, so it's ironing out these kind of creases that can or bumps that can occur in a relationship nipping it in the board so rather than get to the point where you are at divorce yeah go along and see somebody early and and as you say just iron out the the small creases that could be something so minor rather than letting it build and getting so much worse self-realization again it's it's work though right it's i don't just come and have a chat with you and you do all the work i mean i'm ultimately going to have to think a little bit and be introspective a little bit and i'm going to have to be honest and talk and you might have to apologize (laughs) (laughs) and and men attend these sessions (laughs) i think it's it's about sometimes having to take responsibility and actually sometimes we we have to take responsibility responsibility and actually sometimes you realize that you've become just so entrenched with your own position you actually can't hear your partner's position yeah um and that's part of what's causing the problem and i've worked with couples where 
they think they're hearing each other and they're not. And this is the problem we keep hearing. You listen to them, he says this, she says that, and they ask them to repeat back what the other heard and they've heard something completely different to what yeah. I've heard. So I think this is a good example of how couples get caught up in something. Well, how, they're not listening. How many times you must hear from a couple, but I, you know, they say something, like, what, but what she really means, means is, yes. it's like, no, no, but maybe that's not what she really means. She, she, <laughs> what she really means is what she said, but no, but what she really means, no one, or what he really means is, and, yeah, and reading between that, like, you don't know what he's like, what she's like. What they're really <laughs> saying is not that they're tired. What they're really saying is they don't like me and they don't love me and they don't want to spend time with me. Yeah. And, and maybe sometimes, tired. sometimes that's it. Sometimes it's actually, it's not even what's occurring, but it's what's going on in the other person's mind and yeah. the insecurities that are manifesting. Yes. And, it, and sometimes doing something like that and bringing them together can just provide that reassurance. Yeah. It's almost like you need to have individual therapy and then come and have a conversation as a couple. So, you, yeah. can, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of a mix and match, but a little bit of time on your own. And then you're the person in the middle who is the glue. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes that's what we say, we'll see you individually first and then we'll come back to bring you together as a couple. And I suppose then you'll have a much clearer idea of what the issue is that you're really struggling with in your marriage. Because sometimes people are just arguing and they actually don't know why they're arguing anymore. Yeah. It's just now everything is annoying them. <laughs> I will never forget. They left the fridge door open. They didn't take the rubbish out. They drove too fast, not fast enough. And so the every, they're arguing about everything. And it's probably yeah. not about the original issue. It, or not even about the partner. It could just be about something totally unrelated. <laughs> totally yeah. unrelated. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 this sounds like a no-brainer to me. Mm. So why aren't people doing more of this? I mean, again, this is right back to the very start, isn't it? Yeah, there's, mm. there's stigmas, there's costs, there's time, there's misunderstandings. There's a need to rethink what healthcare really is. Absolutely. And I think probably, Jenna, we, you know more about this probably than I do, but, you know... In, the, in different parts of the world, you know, we have these health promotion campaigns. So there'll be certain physical health checkups now that we ask people to have. Maybe if you're in your 50s, I think you've got yeah, to go for, for various checks. Women have various health checks because we know prevention um, or early identification of a problem can significantly change the course of a physical health problem. And I think what we need to do, what we need to have governments and other people doing is say you need a mental health checkup. Yeah. And that should be once a year at least. As a minimum, everybody should try and see somebody just for that one hour and just have that mental health checkup. But that's a nice way to put it and to, to encapsulate it into the one hour a year. Yeah. And that's really a nice health promotion campaign yeah. there. I think, I, mean, I think we should try and work on it. I, I, I was should. thinking about that no today, about the one hour. One, have you done your one hour and could people have their badge or their pin yeah. or something that says in the UAE, I did my... I'd wear my bracelet if wear I had your a bracelet. one hour bracelet. Because yeah. the thing is, is when, you're, when you are doing a health promotion campaign, for something like angina, it's easy if you've got yeah. chest pain you go to the doctor yeah the stroke if you see slurring or you know um altered smile on one side of the face but it's very difficult for mental health because it's so diverse yeah. and we've just said that one person could be suffering with depression but could have completely op opposite symptoms yeah. so it, it's very very hard to make a promotion so that's a really nice idea and i think we see like the, from physical health campaigns like for breast cancer for example i think that has been so successful yeah. in getting people to come forward and to be screened and to raise awareness and I think it's had a significant impact on the reduction of people dying with breast cancer. And 
you know, one of the things that would be fantastic to achieve here in the UAE, if we could have a campaign for you, have you done your one hour? Because just before we started talking, we were thinking about the really sad side if people yeah. don't get help, is that it can, an untreated depression can result in suicide. And that is totally unnecessary. Every suicide is totally and utterly unnecessary because we can treat the mental health condition leading to suicide attempts I, I think and I'd, I'd, completed suicide. I'd it's love a tragedy. I'd love to do a whole show where that's we just talk about depression and the, the whole issue of suicide and yeah. and what you know is it, it could be people who are young it could be people who are old i mean i i've heard stories across the the age yeah. spectrum for and often for different reasons and it would be interesting to just to talk through some of those issues and and what maybe we could be doing and what you know people who are observing others because it's a really hard one. Like, how do how do you intervene with a family member to get them to go and get that help if they don't think they need that help, or if they're they, and, and identifying them yeah. as well when they're going down that yeah. path? Because often suicides can be people that you're not expecting or posting yeah. on Facebook a few days prior, looking like they're having a great yes. turn. Like, how do, I hear how that do you all the time? Yes. Who would have known? And it's you know we we've even had one of those incidents in our own family. Who would have known? It's just it's like really. It would, yes. And I think that would be a that would be a really great conversation yeah. to yeah. to have because i think sometimes depression is a bit like carbon monoxide poisoning it happens mm. it can happen slowly but it it's it's quietly distorting the person's mind and taking them off in a direction that is really irrational but feels very real to them mm. and that's what makes depression a very potentially dangerous illness because you can really buy into the thoughts that you're having and you can really reach a point where you think, actually, I can't see a way forward and I don't want to try anymore. Yeah. And so yeah, that would be a really a useful conversation to have because lots of people are scared of the subject of suicide um, for obvious reasons. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to do that. That's mm. the plan. We also need to put Cheryl's clinic details up yeah. with well, uh, <laughs> with this podcast so yeah. people can find the love school. Yes. Yeah, yes. So what, 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 tell us now, Cheryl, how do we get in touch with you? What's the... Well, I'm currently practicing in a clinic in Healthcare City, Vivimus, and uh -huh. um, you can reach us through the website or contact um, reception and arrange an appointment. Be very happy to see you um, for love school. For integrated care, something that Jenna and I have been talking about on this program, which is about the link between physical health and mental health. If you have a physical health condition of any sort, I would really recommend also including in your treatment, having psychological care. Okay. We can do lots to help you if you have diabetes, MS, cancer, back pain, leg pain, all of those things. Yeah. All, all of the contact deals, details in the description to the podcast. Yeah. So just jump back to the description. You can't miss it. You had to, you had to read it to get here. Yeah. And we'll, uh, you'll, you'll be able to get in touch with, with Cheryl. And that's awesome. Yeah, this has been a fun great. show. I really great. enjoyed this. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you. Jenna Thanks, and Cheryl. Thank you. And we'll do it all again. If, yes. you're, if you know what you've been listening to, this is Podaholics and this has been Doc Talk. We always ask everyone to do this however you're listening to the show because you could have gotten us through iTunes, you could be listening on Spotify, you could be through Google Podcasts, Anchor, where we live, and more. It's about 11 different platforms this show is, is distributed through. So however you listen to us, give us a rating and, and leave a comment. Let us know what you like to let us know what you'd want and we will make it happen. It's as simple as that. Again, both of you, thank you very thank much you. for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
You've been listening to a Podaholics podcast. You have something you'd like to say? Something you'd like to share? Get in touch with us, Podaholics with a K at gmail.com. Alternatively, reach out to us on the socials. That's Podaholics with a K. You've been listening to us on one of many platforms. We'd love to hear your comments. We'd love to get you to rate us. And above all, we'd love you to share the link. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again real soon.